so I am Mia Cecilia. I am 22 and has been editing the history book together with the rest of the team for like two years. Generally, like that's been one project in the UIP that I've been doing for yeah, for, for literally now almost three years. But, but besides that, I do preside RNC uh, in UAP Denmark that I have been representing for like five years. I've been part of this network since since literally those five years. So, so the history book somehow has ended up being half of this. Yeah, so my name is uh, Anouk and I'm the other editor of the UAP history book with uh, Mia. And I think I we start, I started UAP the same month than Mia, so five years ago now. But yeah, we kind of jump on this project of uh, putting together the first book that would collect the, the history of UAP. But yeah, aside from this, I'm from France, but I live in Belgium and mostly done media. Um, so that's why I was kind of collecting the pictures and all the archives for the for the book. And um, you might know me as well because I just finished entering uh, the 97 international session of the UAP. Um, and, <laughs> and I survived. Um, and I also survived to editing the book. So yeah, very nice to have you listen to the podcast. This is one of the first times that I'm actually having like longer conversations in probably two weeks almost. Because about just under two weeks ago, I I got a nose surgery done. I had so I had like a deviation in my septum and some other issues up here. So they kind of went in, they did a whole bunch of work, and when I came out, my nose was like, and it was like all blocked up, and so I basically couldn't talk. I could try to like say a word or two, but it was just like, okay, I just get my phone and I write something and I give it to my girlfriend. I'm like, here we are. <laughs> like, I just like, I just gave up talking for a few days and then bit by bit, I was like, okay, and start to talk a little bit, a little bit. But then with, if you can't breathe through your nose at all, you know, you need your mouth to breathe. So then talking becomes kind of difficult. Oh no. And now this is finally the time where I actually do have a little bit of ability to breathe from my nose so it's actually nice to be able to talk and not to feel it being so 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 nasal <laughs> very nice <laughs> when do you think it's gonna get to the state that the surgery was meant to making it for it to get hopefully by next week they, they said two weeks so two weeks would actually be wednesday so soon but like uh it's from two weeks onwards that apparently, so my, my brother did it, my dad did it, and I've got one, uh, some other colleagues and friends and stuff who've done it. And they all say like after two or so weeks later, you go to blow your nose and just like this mess comes out of clotted blood and all these scarves and stuff. And then you're just alive and you can breathe fully through your nose because I've never really been able to do that in my life. So for you people who breathe through your nose, I don't actually know what that feels like. Yeah, so I suppose I suppose anyone would appreciate that after two or three weeks of not being able to breathe through their nose whatsoever. Like generally, I also feel like breathing is a nice thing to be able to do. Definitely, yeah. It's, it's not. It's not, and it's not just like two or three weeks of not being able to breathe for it. It's more like the past thirty years of only having like part of my nose free to be able to actually breathe and I don't actually know what it means to fully breathe when everyone's like you know when you do sports and people are like no breathe through your nose in and then out and I'm like but like, I can't do that you, you I'm like but you, but you don't get enough air if you breathe through your nose like you can't I have to go through my mouth in like it doesn't make sense through the nose and I never understood what they were on about 
<laughs> but now I know that it was actually a me problem. <laughs> I mean, hopefully soon, you know, you're going to be able to do all those things. Exactly. I'll be doing sports and be like, yeah, look at my stamina. I can run for five minutes without falling on the floor. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that makes me think, like, how did you survive team building? But I guess there aren't that many physically straining team building games, after all. At least not ones that would require oxygen. <laughs> Whatever that means. <laughs> yeah, certain team building games that have disclaimers. Warning, oxygen intensive. <laughs> I feel like that that's not something we would normally associate there. I mean, I always thought the concept of, like, having Loki small Olympic games... Actually, it could be like a fun concept because there's always like so many like people that play different sports and like we could do like small teams. And like I always, I like, I always wanted to have like a basketball game at like a UAP session. I was like, this is, oh my God. And like even at the IS, like Ilya was like playing basketball and then one of like Jason who ate with me also played and we're like, we don't have the ball, but there was a court at community work and we're like so tempted to, you know, maybe. If I throw something else, why not? <laughs> but I'm not going to. I was just going to say, like, I, I didn't think that was what you were planning on doing. A big if. Well, I will never. <laughs> you Nathan, when I had to organize the session? Uh, I, I think I'll pass Again. on that one. I, 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 I did it once 10 years ago. Uh, well, no, 11 years ago. And uh, yeah, uh, let's just say I wasn't the best head organizer. I was, yeah, but you've um, learned. You've come true. so far. True, true. But now I'm like, yeah, I, I don't want to have to deal with that. <laughs> like this, it's too much work. It, it is literally a full. It's, 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 it's a part time job, but it's an unpaid part time job. That's that that that's a lot for a long period of time. And I'm like, nope. I was I was definitely the person just to swoop in, be on the board, have fun during the session, go away, write a few evaluations, and just move on with my life. You know. Much easier. Free ride on the work of others. <laughs> Honestly, might also be like the healthier option <laughs> compared to what everyone else is doing. <laughs> That's actually true. <laughs> yeah. Yes. As, a, as a note, I, I kind of fucked up my health when a throwing. Like on the first day of the IS, I got an allergy reaction of my entire body. So I got like fully red, like fully, like I was red. Like my entire face was red. My arms whatever and i had to go to the like the doctor two times during cmo in 24 hours so yeah not good not good <laughs> i have to say better to not atro and i guess i mean it's worth it but uh... literally allergic to organizing <laughs> <laughs> oh my god yeah no that was like the timing was beautiful I, I still haven't heard of anyone who's HO'd an IS who's been like, yes, that was the best decision ever. <laughs> HO ISs, I recommend this to everyone. It's an incredible experience. <laughs> Go for it. The way we do things, it's amazing. Go on, believe in yourself. Honestly, yeah. I would not fully recommend either. I would be like, you need to be a tiny bit crazy, or like a lot crazy to do it. Um, <laughs> like quite a lot. But. Like even the people who just think about head organizing and IS aren't they already at that like tiny bit crazy part? <laughs> no, just that then I said yes to many things and then yeah, I just never stopped. Here am I? I don't know. Like if my NC was thriving, maybe it isn't. So no. <laughs> <laughs> you can go to another NC to HO and IS. You know that's what I did. <laughs> yes, but I'm not sure if long distance head organizing is the best idea. No. 
That's true. <laughs> the role is difficult enough by itself. Yeah, exactly. And you want to introduce another hurdle just for fun, you know? It'd be like, you know what? And I'm going to do it blindfolded. <laughs> just, just to add an extra thing, you know? And every day I can only, I can only use uh, 50 words per hour. And you give yourself those limitations just to kind of see how you can cope throughout. Yeah, let's not do that. <laughs> no. <laughs> Please don't. You did say you have to be a bit crazy to do it. So, you know, yeah, I'm just like adding to it. It's a good point. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Didn't we have a quick conversation like this about cheering at some point? Like how do you kind of put a limitation on your own capabilities as a chair? Like how to challenge yourself to say, chair, well, but you're not allowed to blank. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, and I feel we, we, we do actually do that in an unhealthy way a lot in UIP. In particular, we do that with um with drinking, um, or at least back in the day we used to do that. And I definitely would say that that was my perception of it, especially from like 2010 to 2015 kind of era. I really used to see it as, okay, let's see, can I do this full bottle of vodka tonight and fully deliver a training tomorrow morning to my to my chairs team or something like this? And then the next day, the answer would be yes. And it's like, cool. Okay, how far, How much further can I push this? <laughs> can I do that plus not plan and improv it and still work? And it was like, yeah, okay, let's see how further. And it was always about like pushing those boundaries. And yeah, that wasn't that wasn't a healthy thing to do for me or for the people around me. <laughs> but we do. I, I do feel like we do that maybe in many different ways where we just apply unnecessary, yeah, bound unnecessary hurdles to ourselves to try to make our, our lives more difficult and then feel more su- successful at the end mm, yeah or then the organizers do it for you and they do like how about you try to chair but you don't have materials or food <laughs> <laughs> you get a sandwich and a piece of chocolate have fun UAP <laughs> challenge except it's just actually UAP <laughs> like that challenge has turned like gone from a challenge to like just the work procedure i feel (laughs) yeah let's let's see how you cope with your six hours of committee work today when we start two hours late because of transfers now you have four hours let's see how you cope now (laughs) how about you chair this ga debate except there are no placards go (laughs) (laughs) this is why i don't chair How about you lead this media team, except you don't have any power outlets available to you? Like, I know your session where the media team had no Wi-Fi. I feel like that, yeah. <laughs> that was also the an thing interesting is, one. That was Wi-Fi, but the headmaster was the worst person ever. So they, I, I fixed the Wi-Fi, and then they just unfixed it for me. Like, they were like, you're not going to get it on the day of the session. And I was like, no. <laughs> So I tried, but yeah, no. It's always great to like export several gigabytes of, of video to Google Drive without the Wi-Fi. I have to say, Kotlik was better. We had Wi-Fi everywhere, you know. I learned from mistakes. It was upgrade slash, you know, a lot a lot better upgrade than the regional. Yeah, and I had that in a couple of sessions where what one of my requirements for going to the session was... I need I need everyone in the officials team who doesn't have access to internet to have a SIM card from that country. 
And it's like, this needs to be in the budget. We need to put this in. If it's not in the budget, okay, let's see. Between how many people, okay, let's put some money in. Let's actually get this. And like, for example, that's what we were trying to do in Yerevan. That's what we did before in Nipro. We did this in quite a few different sessions where just in advance, you're like, okay, here's a bunch of SIM cards. Let's just give these SIM cards out. Let's make sure everyone actually has internet to actually have a productive session. Because when you're when you've got those two or three people who just don't have any connection, they're always wandering around like, "What's going on today? What's happening? Who am I?" Fair enough. Yeah, we've got. Yeah. At least we can thank the European Union for EU roaming and that not being so much of a problem anymore. Because before that, yeah, that's only a problem in like Switzerland. I feel. And here as well in the <laughs> yeah, UK. True. true. I think and it's hello it's, Eastern Europe. It's gonna be from January twenty twenty-three over here that our e roaming stops. It's already stopped. Really? Yeah, I didn't uh, yeah. have e roaming last time I was there. Oh yeah, but but I mean for people in the UK that I think the phone companies kind of gave an extension was like, oh, yeah, we're gonna carry on uh... like providing this service and blah 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 until until 2023 and then it's going to be a paid for service with all of these other stuff so that's gonna be expensive yeah thanks brexit <laughs> i mean what even is the point of that like the freaking phone companies already have that cooperation agreement with all those other companies like the infrastructure is there they make that uh, money but but f- fun story uh recently about brexit stuff um i went to a friend's place and she brought she bought this board game called brexit and it was an actual board game called Brexit, and it was, it was kind of cool. The gameplay was um, pretty cool, pretty straightforward. It was about ter- uh, you're divided into like leave and remain team, and then when it's your turn, you turn over some headlines, some like news headlines, um, and then you kind of read them, and they're kind of ridiculous headlines. Um, and then your idea is to try to spin it to your side, whether you'll remain or whether you'll leave. But it wasn't a debating game. It was a dice rolling. So you roll the dice and you try to connect things together and stuff. And then if you manage to do that, then you kind of get that on your side and you get to like, and it's trying to like flip different parts of the country to vote on your side. And then you try to flip the opponents to your side and you kind of do this stuff. Um, And then you have like these EU fact cards that come up with like facts about the EU that they never really posted in the headlines. And it was just, it's, it's like, it was really cool, like satire. And it took all of the big political figures and just really ripped the shit out of them <laughs> in their descriptions and on all of these headlines. It was a really good, like, satiric game about Brexit. Yeah, well, I don't know. I'd argue that your political characters don't need anyone to rip them apart. <laughs> Especially after the whole... Listras speech when when she quit after what seven weeks? I was right. You are everyone else is wrong. <laughs> like shortest lived prime minister of the UK. Yes, you were right. Thank you. You 44. crushed everything. <laughs> At least she got that pension. <laughs> Literally. But then speaking of things being short lived and then trying to make him longer. Um, when Joel kind of first reached out um, about about this episode, about thinking about the history book and stuff, um, my mind kind of went to actually the first conversation with Joel that we had when when he pitched the idea of this podcast, because this was all Joel's idea. I had I had nothing, no input in terms of that side. He 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 kind of said it was like 
I, I'm thinking of this idea. I really want to record some stories of people who've been doing things in UIP and who are about to leave with that knowledge. And then it just kind of goes and it's lost. But it'd be cool to be able to record it somehow and get it out there. And he was saying, maybe he's thinking of doing a podcast about it. I was like, oh, yeah, that sounds kind of cool. And then he got back in touch a few months later. Being like, oh, yeah, about that podcasting. Should we want to like co-host? Should we actually do this? And then it kind of started out that way of thinking, okay, who are these different people who are like leaving, who've already left the organization and stuff, like contacting all these dinosaurs and thinking about trying to get all their thoughts and stuff out there. And I, that kind of purpose of what it is that we've been doing kind of came back to my mind as you mentioned this stuff with the history book. But then what I kind of realized is that I actually have no idea about this initiative whatsoever. And I was like, you know what, instead of researching on it, I'm just going to listen and find out during our episode. <laughs> so what the hell is it? <laughs> it's, my, it's my roundabout way of asking. <laughs> like, I feel like Nick and I have been asking ourselves a question like 7,000 times as well. Yeah. <laughs> like, honestly, recently I was like, you know, doing the good old actually emptying your mail inbox. And I came past the first mail sent out by the IO uh, being like, hey, do you want to be part of this book? And I think Anouk and I, as we talked about, like literally about what we said before, being the overactive people saying, can I challenge myself to put even more stuff into my very packed schedule? Both were like, yeah, we can edit this. We can make it work. And like, we didn't have a plan at all. At least that's not my feeling. Yeah. I feel like I know you jumped on to be my structure. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think when it actually started with the, like, or at least the initiative from the IO is that they wanted to do something for the 35 years. They wanted something with history, something archives, something put together, but they had no clue about how this would look like and, and exactly who would do it. So that's why they, they launched a call. And then at, at first, we were actually just part of the team of, like, the the was it like a task work or yeah something like this and then we just like kind of talked with Mia that someone had to coordinate and kind of take lead <laughs> and then yeah she was like more of the content writing aspect of it and then I'm more like the structured person <laughs> to just schedule meetings and that's more like media layouting things so we kind of yeah, came together and kind of led the team, but like the whole process is still very blurry. Like it was because it's like never done before. So it's not like a session where you're like, you know, let's do like pre-session calls and then we do this and then we do that. It's like, how do we actually make a book about UAP history and how do we get all the archives in one place? And like, there was so many questions. And I think the first meeting was full of questions, just like, how do we do this? Yeah, exactly. I'm like, in the beginning, also it was like, so we have this info and these people to contact, and then we can use that to, to phrase it. And then suddenly we realize that hmm, this might even be more of like, let's first establish an archive and then actually use that archive to like write whatever would make sense. And like first call, I think we had, because they sent out this mail, I don't know, February, 2020. And then we had like a call in April, meaning that we were like two weeks into COVID for the first time. And we were like, yeah, so this is a short thing. We'll soon have a meeting in Berlin. We will gather the entire team. Fast forward to October 2021, so a year and a half later, we finally managed to gather a half of the team in Berlin for the very first time ever. 
so like the, the entire process has been something but like at least we managed to cover from the establish of or establishment of the organization and like different aspects of the development of this organization and until now uh and like it turned into like a lot of ideas we had to like cut and other ideas that came along the way and Mm. somehow we had a final product (laughs) yeah but i think it's i I think especially you guys can relate kind of to the process because i feel like like there's a list of people that we wanted to contact like there's just so many people you're like it would be so interesting to hear their stories and like put it in the book and there's so many people to reach out to because every time you reach out to i don't know someone that was um, hring in i don't know 2000 then they have these contacts and they've stayed friends with those people that have done things in UAP. But then we just realized the amount of content is huge to process. And so we had to kind of, there was still this very hard deadline of like 35 years of UAP. We cannot really go past it. So it's like the book has to be done. So we had to have a product somehow. And the process was a bit messy with like coordinating a team that is like not an orga team, it's not like a media team, it's not a church team, it's very different type of thing. And so, yeah, we kind of had to also, I think the first months were very much, we were going into every direction, like following all the leads, contacting everyone. Like I had all the art cap of UAP Belgium at my place for the longest time. And it's super interesting, but you can also get lost a lot. Like I feel like I got lost a lot in like everything. And then we kind of had to recenter after some time of like, we do need chapters to be written. So what is really the knowledge we need? But like the amount of things like we could have this for like, like that can be a full-time job as well. Like, like there's so many things to be done. So that was just very interesting, I think. Yeah, exactly. And like, once we like kind of established what sort of content we wanted, we also were like, so one thing is the history, but but we also want this to make like, to make this an overview of, organizations in this umbrella organization so each nc uh which meant that we needed to reach out to each nc and give them a deadline and be like can you write some sort of info about your nc be like established date board structure fun fact whatever but i think we also all know in eop that we have this tendency of writing things very last minute and be like can i push this until like a quarter to midnight when the deadline is midnight which also very much happened uh so so like we we experienced a lot of, hmm, we need this, but we kind of work on it until deadline because we will not have the info before deadline. Um, and also one thing is the established NCs, which worked quite well, but then also like the initiative ones or the NCs that were established and then uh, closed down and then reestablished and then semi-closed down again, then who are you supposed to reach out to? Like. We could take Hungary as an example. Like we were able to reach out to those who like established it and made it run in the first first round. Then it was closed down and then rerun. And then who now and what to to like focus on. So I think we also like along the way really had to work on what exactly we wanted to like focus on. Because I think the initial part of this was like, let's make this keywords and more or less just make it like a standardized uh, form they can fill out. But as for the rest of the book, I think we all realized that it's much easier or not easier, but more personal somehow to, to have more like less structured work where they each can like contribute with what they found interesting. And and that's at least a part of the book I'm really happy with now. And um, in, in my mind, I'm also wondering about the almost like the the, the selective, selective information or potential censorship side 
of, for example, I don't know, if we're thinking about MCs, there are lots of very dodgy stories, especially back in the day of how things were run. Yeah, I'm also thinking to what extent to, to kind of go into name and shame stuff. But for example, like I was, I was saying like one NC in particular uh, that I, I started to go to some of their sessions back in like 2011, 2012, and their NC was basically run by a single person who used to who used to then organize all the events in her friend's hotel or her family's hotel and then that money basically there wasn't really a difference between her money and then the organization's money and the way that things are working that way all back in the day with eyp before it went under shortscore foundation you know how things were on that very dodgy money issue side before it kind of all that debt got like brought up so how did you what was your approach to kind of dealing with those more let's say gray areas that eyp doesn't i guess the io probably wouldn't want to be out there on those main pages yeah i would say i mean the first of all like of course at some point like we also heard stories and things like this but the the problem i would say of the book i don't know if that's really a problem it's a book it's printed so there's limited space of content like i think the content was already cut down from I wouldn't say fifty percent, but like we wrote way more, so was, almost we half of the book. To yeah, so like almost half of the book is not in it, which is just like general. Like it's it's not even like super detailed things. Like if you see the IS pages, is very short about each IS, and we could write like of course you can write so much about an IS. Like it's a big event. There's so much like you could write a short book about everything, and it's the same. You could write a short book about every NC. But in the end, the NC overviews are so short and general because we couldn't do it otherwise. Like, we could have done it, but it was already, like, five, six pages or more even. So, like, the NCs are really, like, basic info. Like, it's was open that they, that's the main thing. That if they have a specific type of event, then that's a specific type of event. And then that's it. So, like, I think at some parts we didn't, like, we obviously know things and there's some things that we obviously we couldn't put in it but there's just a lot of things that we also didn't really went into it because we didn't have the time and we knew it wasn't going to end up in the book but I feel like you could dip so deep into things like if you start to talk about each person of like each NC and then there's always so many think everywhere uh, but I think at least from my side the like things we really couldn't put in it was some pictures that we had from sessions because obviously it was like like, I think that's, like, the one thing that, at least for my part, because I was in charge of archives, so I had to scan so many pictures, and, and I got so many pictures on my laptop, and it's, like, from, like, 2008 session or something, and it's, like, very inappropriate that you couldn't, like, you could never post this. It's, like, people making out and, you know, all of those pictures, and it's just, like, I saw so many things. <laughs> So this, of course, we could have never put it in the book because then it's printed, hand out to sponsors, you know. Um, but it was funny to see, like, the, the issues and newspapers, like, everything is wrong in it. Like, there's nothing that's externally friendly uh, for sponsors. So, of course, this is kept as a memory and, like, in the archives, but, like, this we could have never... Like, we had to choose which scans of which newspaper we would put in it, you know. Um, so many jokes. <laughs> But at least from my side, that's like more the visuals I couldn't put. 
Yeah, but like honestly, 2008 turned out to be like a whole era of inappropriate materials. Like the session videos there, they are fully available on like YouTube. And it's scary. <laughs> like we were looking through these and we're like, did this actually happen? Like have people consented to this? Um, <laughs> but, but yeah, that's one thing. Then like on like another note, I think what you also mentioned. So we did cover or at least like research quite a lot on the transition from the teacher-led organization until the youth-led. And let's say there were quite a lot of things there that maybe like in periods were more shady than others, uh, where not all of it at least have gone into like the book, uh, because like there have been financial crises before. It's not the first time that, that we're struggling with money, but before it's also like, as you said, it's been like, Whose money is this? How has the transfers gone? Who owe what to whom? Uh, so, so like there has been like a lot of problematic things there, which essentially was also why they needed the first reform and like transitioning this organization so much because after the first, what was it, five-ish years or more, it really needed a change in order to be like resilient towards change. And like those are some of the things that are like covered briefly. They are mentioned, uh, but like the letters we have like read have been interesting. Some of them I also like received because, as we said, I was like in charge of a lot of the content. So I also reach out to like different NC presses and like hearing what sort of like archives do you guys have like nationally for for your NCs? Is there like anything spicy in them that we can like gain insight into? And not all the NCs really had something or had it like structured enough. And some were also like business secrets or at least like we cannot share this outside our board, which is, I guess, fair. But but a few NCs sent me some things. And like, I specifically remember like a mail correspondence from in German that I was sent. And they were like, if you can read this, read it. You can like see if it's interesting or not. And that was literally also just like uh, the NC and members of the NC like accusing each other for using the uh, money they had wrongly or not paying the bills needed. And like, I feel like the finances has been like silver lining throughout this entire thing. Like it's just kept reappearing mm. both on like the international level, but also like within the, the individual NCs and specifically the, the older ones, like the ones that have been there since the beginning, more or less. Uh, so, so those were, were definitely some of the things that were, more interesting to look into and like looking into how this sometimes turned into like personal shit throwing rather than <laughs> the lovely youth organization with yeah. legal no, education that we currently have. That's true. Like I, so I, I got all the archive from the founder of Hippie Belgium. So Helga de Poe, but she's, she was also one of the teachers that helped founding UIP. And then she was like very active at the beginning. So we, I got all the archives she had at her place. So it's like personal archives as well. So it's like the session she's been to as like when she was in, like when she was going to BNC. And the thing that is very funny is that they printed every email. Like everything is printed. Like there's just like a bunch of email. Like I got binders of emails. It's just like, and so I read through <laughs> it and like there's so many things that are so uninteresting, you know, like they had like budget sheets, but like handwritten. Like there's like a lot of things that are just very funny, so I had to read a lot like everything. And obviously there's stuff that are not interesting, but there's also yeah emails that are just like very straightforward, just like yeah calling each other out. It's like a random discussion in between board members, and it's like printed. 
and obviously I could read it. So it was like it's very intriguing in a way, but it's also so long ago. I was just like, yeah, very funny that they kept everything in binders. Um, <laughs> and I was going through it. I was just like, I know I had fun going through archives. It was like super long, but it was it was fun. <laughs> but also generally, like some of the the real dinosaurs, like the the teachers who were there thirty years ago or more, uh, who suddenly like ended up helping us out a lot really were like gold into the project like i think we both got a good friend in alan flowers from like the uk uh who like alan alan just likes to talk it's it's not personal it's just yeah and like i I think we both loved the yeah like i think what we loved and hated like it was definitely a love-hate relationship but like receiving all his mails in comic sans is like an entire ride <laughs> no but like i think it was not even the it was not even the font it was the way it was written and then he called us out in the email saying oh your email was very unstructured i had to read it twice and i was like exactly but i avoided that, that him at the maybe 35 i i grabbed Ilya and i was like please Ilya, get me out of the conversation <laughs> oops yeah. we we made friends or whatever you can call them along the way definitely yeah yeah there was something i was also thinking about during that as well which is how yeah a a lot of times there are these like very spicy things that were like interesting interesting things to kind of talk about but then we're always like oh yeah but what about all the people who are involved in that and we don't want this to impact them. So, for, I don't know, for example, with us, that there are many topics that, that we could also go into that could be really interesting in our podcast, but there are some topics that we might be avoiding for a while or stuff. Like, I don't know, EYP discussions, you know? That could be a really interesting topic, but, like, it's still a very hot topic to actually go through the history of what actually happened there. Or uh, another one, for example, how, uh, how EYP lost bases and all of the issues that happened there for about a year in that process in which we yeah, we know the people we could bring them in we could have discussions about this but it's still very recent and lots of people are involved in that and there is a lot of shit talking <coughs> within that so yeah it must have been a really difficult challenge trying to record the history that way yeah like we had a lot of like interesting things but also like this was a project that was like overall that was coordinated by the IO, which also means they had quite a say in in what the content actually ended up being. Uh, we had like Helena uh, Nep was the first to like coordinate this thing and initiate everything before leaving the organization for <laughs> other jobs. So so like in the beginning, it was a lot of like talking to her, talking to Joao, uh, who was also on the team, and them talking to the rest of the IO and be like, yeah, so we think these things should be included because like we made like a list and we're like, these things are super interesting to go through. And like in the meetings, we're like, we have these spicy materials and they were like, we think these things would be nice to cover. So, so obviously they, they covered quite the things they wanted covered. So, so we did have the materials, we did write the stuff, uh, but, but we also, I don't feel we had like entire, entire free play, uh, which also does make sense. Um, so, so definitely is, was affected by the fact that it wasn't completely like external, uh, but that we actually were coordinated by the people we were writing about. Yeah, but I think it, it does also make sense in a way that that's like the first book really written for like repeat history. So it was like, it's made for everyone. Like in a way, it's made for people that joined the organization. It's made for people that never heard about UAP. It's made for sponsors. It's made for alumni. So it's like the target audience is so big that 
going into details in like very very specific thing even though it's so interesting it yeah. might be too much so like i think it was frustrating for us in a way because like obviously we know the history like explaining team building yes it's interesting but we prefer being very specific about how a game has been like going through the years you know but like this we couldn't necessarily do because it was just like very too detailed in a way and i think for everything it was a bit like this it was like we had so many ideas but then in the end it, the team was quite small like eventually we were five six people act like let's say five people actively working on it and then yeah the end result is way smaller than the content which is always the case but it's also in a way like it was two years, which is long, but not that long when it's um, like a big project. So in the end, we're like, okay, this we're going to give up on and we're just going to focus on writing good content. So I think in a way it was a bit frustrating to have to short out content and not go deeper into certain topics that would be super interesting to cover. Like you can write so much about everything. Like there's so many things in UAP to write about or like the archive. I think it's it's not even like 10% of what is out there. Like I collected stuff but there's so much out there like I, I even well like we didn't even ask that many people like I don't think we interviewed that many people but it was already enough for the book that it was supposed to be so in a way I think and I hope at some point I think it would be nice if like this continues always like there's a task force that work on it or that we continue collecting those materials because I think it's super interesting and the problem is that we were going from zero so it was like write a book and it's like we have no archives like literally like i was like oh maybe you have something you know a small archive of something but no one had anything it was like oh we have like random drive and then you can look through facebook and i was like oh okay so i need to search everything <laughs> yeah like this turned into the io sometimes reaching out to us and be like do you have any clue where we can find this specific thing or like have you come across anything nice that we can use for like our facebook posts or for this uh, specific presentation we need to do. Uh, so like we kind of turned into a resource for, for them as well. Yeah, because like, it's like, it's so much. It's like, obviously you have all the like um, picture stock that is like, couldn't be endless. Like there's so many picture even like uh, from the nineties that is super nice to see. Like I love seeing those pictures and like we're reusing the same kind of in the book that we've been using before, but there's so much more than those ones. And it would be super interesting to have a proper archive of those pictures and videos and then everything that is written documents, like there's so much that is not collected. But that's like like a proper full-time job of being like um, doing archives, which, you know, I was like, I love doing it, but I'm not paid and <laughs> volunteering is nice, but yeah. uh, it's a bit too much, but it would be super interesting. Like even hiring someone to do archives full-time for... UIP, oh, I would I would think it would be very nice. And I think that was like I think the first the first meeting we have ever had for the like history book. We had other ideas than the physical book that kind of went on during this uh, meeting. And it was like, oh, what if we make like a, a virtual platform or a museum? And then that would be super interesting as well to like collect all this info and not just do a book because obviously the book is, as we said, it's very restricted content. But then it would be so nice to have something interactive. You click and then it opens and then you have all the timeline. Or even like a physical museum would be super nice. Like a yeah. proper museum with like, because we have all the things to do it and it would be super fun. But like that's another huge project that's way different. But we did have those ideas at first and then 
Yeah, like initially it was also the plan that UIP35 would like clash with the 100th IS, uh, like before it was pushed uh, because of COVID. Yeah. And like the initial thoughts were that in when we have the 100th, we can like make some sort of like exhibition or like physical presentation of this book that would like make it more visible to people because of course you can hand out a book or sell it but but if people are able to see like the work that's been put behind like a picture wall or whatever like something similar to what was made at UFP 30 it, it would have been like a really nice addition to the project and but I also feel like because both Anug and I like experienced quite some frustrations towards the end of the project like we handed in more than a hundred full pages of text and when we received the book uh, it was 110 including the pictures i would assume that 50 60 percent has been cut down by an external editor and and like when we saw that i think we both like we had quite some calls let's say where we weren't like exactly very satisfied and i also think we both had to like settle with the idea that this is a first draft or not even a draft but a first edition uh, and there are way more editions to be built from that first one. So, so of course, you cannot cover everything. Uh, and, and we understand that it might be nice for, for a book to have some things be bullet points. But this is a history book. It's like supposed to tell the history. It's not an annual report. Yeah. And I feel like that's like the vibe we kind of both got from it when we saw it. But I think when you've been working on something for, for so long and have had so many expectations there will be things that will not like meet those expectations um because in the end we still do have a a nice book that people actually want so so that's nice yeah and i i find like the even the the idea of this project of trying to craft a history book is so it's so difficult and nuanced by itself because when we're talking about like crafting the history history is of course so subjective with not just which details we want to add in which ones we don't and stuff like this but also how we even frame it and what kind of narrative we build around it for example in school we're always taught history through this male dominant approach of it's about people in power and timelines and land and for example if we talk about the history of finland we're going to talk about okay who were the rulers during this time and this time and like where, where did the area grow and decrease and what war happened between these people and these people and it would just be telling the history of that in which if you let's say imagine that you lived somehow 500 years of your life in finland and i imagine you were some kind of vampire who didn't die or something like this right and then you read that book talking about that 500 years of history you say this this wasn't the history i lived this is just talking about the just a tiny, tiny little select elites that were there doing their thing in the way that they saw this. So I guess it's also about the framing. So as an example with with UIP, you know, what one way is to kind of talk about it as a timeline of this happened and this happened and this happened. Uh, one way would be to discuss mainly like the ISs because they kind of seen as the important stuff. Or it could also be to take it more thematic to talk about okay, let's understand team building and the evolution of team building let's look at uh session structure and how the session structure kind of changed over periods of time so i guess there's whenever we create creating something or trying to narrate down history that's what we do we're building a narrative a way of telling that story in which there could be a thousand other ways of telling that story 
So I guess one question that I've got in my mind is like, how how did you come to pick whichever narrative you went for or whichever way that you wanted to tell that story? I feel like we, we kind of wanted to do a mix of this because obviously it's a history book. We need to cover it from, from the start to the end or to where we are now at least. Uh, but I think we also all in the team agreed that this was not the only part we wanted because who actually is going to sit down and read every year from from 35 years ago to now? Nobody probably is, but but it is a history book. So obviously we need to have those milestones. So, so we kind of came to this conclusion together that one part of the book would focus on the milestones, but but we wanted to make it like light and easy to read, like through some sort of visual uh, representation on like how to like what was achieved when. And then I should say like the thematic approach, I think was the one we went with the most. And we kind of like allocated it in the team, seeing like which interest do people have? Like if you have been working a lot in the media team, for example, then why like wouldn't you like to like cover how the media specifically developed, how it is now, uh, like even like include some content. So like also like we, we were like, yes, yeah, so, so at some point we introduced the year concert, for example. And that's nice to mention, but why not actually include some of the performances from the year concert? And while this would have been possible with the QR code or in a website or whatever linked to the book uh, showing the recorded uh, performances, we're like, at least we do have some who have performed poetry, for example. So so we have the, the poems. We can like post those to also like give it a different perspective on the content to like make it more like edible somehow uh, for the reader. <laughs> Uh, and I think that was like this whole mix of approaches was was something we agreed would be the best way of doing it. Yeah, I think we also changed things a lot. Like we obviously had this huge list and huge table of content at first before it was done. And then we also mix around things so that it would make more sense for the reader as well. But I think generally, like I think I've said this already, but for me it was just that it's such a... Um, there's so much to tell and there were so many decisions to be made. So like, I think a bit like the hardworking person we are, we were always kind of like, oh, but what if we do this? You know, what if, yeah, for your concert, then we make drawings for it. And like, what if we make an infographic instead of this? And like, obviously there were so many ideas and there was like, oh, for the ISs, okay, we now how it is, it's listed. And it's like just a list and it's like the name, the year, the place want to info about it but then a month or two months before like oh but what if it's like so different and just like a book is so visual as well obviously this one is it's the type of book they use they chose for printing but if you think about it printing could have been so different it would be like i don't know like a page that just opens up fully and then you have the timeline of the ISs with like some very visual things and then the some pictures or whatever so like in my mind, I was like going crazy. I was like, I could, I could do this, I could do that, and give it great. But then it's like time and money and whatever and what the IO wanted and what the team could do. And I was also kind of busy at that time as well. So in the end, you know, expectations and then all the crazy ideas like kind of had to be slowed down a bit. But it's still like a nice thing that I think if there's like a, a another task force working on like the next ones, like, I kind of want to pass on because. There's a lot to do, and I think book editing is super nice. So yeah, kind of. <laughs> I also like can't help but like laugh a bit when I like look at the uh, table of contents. There's like one chapter that for me stands out quite a bit, 
because that was definitely a chapter that was never initially planned. Uh, like the chapter called Evolving and the Pandemic because <laughs> suddenly we're like, hmm, we now have hybrid sessions. We have digital sessions. We have digital trainings. We have like new ways of like accessibility to sessions, all this shit. And that was something we needed to cover. So, so while the entire first process had been like centered a lot around the old parts of the history, we suddenly had to like gain a lot of info on the very, very new parts of the history. And like, at least for a period of time, I had this feeling like we're covering year zero to five and year 35 and that's it. Like, where are the 30 years in between? And, and like those came along the way, they were covered in the end, but, but having to navigate the pandemic and, and writing about it and, and then at the same time remembering the rest of the book at least was, was quite like an eye opener to me. And like this chapter does take up 20 pages of the book. Uh, so, so it's quite extensive, uh, but, but it was also necessary, definitely. Yeah, well, I think the, as the well, like... Recency bias. It's true that, I, now that you mentioned it, it's true that we kind of focus on very the earlier years, because like, oh my god, the founding of UAP, we need to find people from like, I don't know, the 90s, and we need to find contacts, and we had so many interviews with those people, and then we're like, okay, now we have those new concepts we need to write about, and then at some point we're just like, there's a middle part to it, let's say 2000 to 2008, it's not that easy to actually find content, or find people, like, I felt like there was like, I had all the content, you know, you can just search on Facebook, whatever, like all the random ass pages and and all the very old content I could find as well somehow because it's very old and then they can just like, they it's been reused. This was like from the archives I had. But then I had some issues with like finding things from like 2003, 2004, 2005. And there was like more of a, yeah, difficulty to find content or like, yeah, a bit harder in a way. I think that was interesting as well in that sense. Definitely, because also when you like when you reach out to the alumni who were like pre two thousand, they would have pictures because they had been taking those on like film cameras and they have had it like developed and they had them stored in some sort of moving box in their basement. Whereas those who had the pictures taken like two thousand to two thousand eight had them on some some random one hundred and twenty eight megabyte usb stick that was long gone so, so like we literally weren't really able to, to hunt down those pictures that were from that weird era between uploading it to some sort of online cloud or having them in your moving box in your basement mm. uh, but even I think, I think yeah yeah uh, like sorry. we both expected that it would be more difficult to find the older ones but yeah. when that turned out to be very wrong we suddenly had like several of the like older generations uh, reach out to us in our inboxes and be like, hey, I have this entire folder of nice pictures from this IS in 1992. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think it was also like, if you think about it, there's so much things we also didn't go through. Like there's the amount of emails I got where people were like, oh, I'm going to look at the boxes at Christmas. And then, you know, I emailed them after Christmas. I was like, have you had the time? And then they never answered. Like there's so many people because obviously it's like not working with, volunteers or people you know because it's your generation so you know it's very easy you see them around sessions you can be like oh reminder it's people i've never met and it's like people that did uap 15 20 years ago so you know they see the email like super hyped they answer once and then they fully have something else in their minds 
So there's like still so much content that I was promised, let's say. And it's like, I have never seen, but you know, it was enough for the book. But it's so interesting to know that there's so much more out there. And the, like the pictures are, like, I think my favorite thing about the book is the very old pictures. Like I love going through it. It's just, it's yeah, like, nice. I don't know. <laughs> those pictures of the media team room sitting with the computers that are like, like a square meter on each side. Uh, it's it's great and like the session newspapers being the main visual output is just really something i also feel like i got a big surprise because like as we know Yuri denmark was established in like 2016 and then read like reading through the is overviews and being like reach out to these people i realized that apparently Yuri denmark had an international session in 1994 and i was like this is like literally 22 years before our establishment what, what happened back then uh, but that was back when the ISs were still uh, organized by the IO and just like reach out to some random schools where like we have all these resources. Can you organize this? So so I actually ended up getting in touch from with the pressy from that session. Be like, hi, UFP Denmark now exists um, as a thing. Do you remember us? Uh, and like he was like, yeah. So I have all the newspapers from it. I have the like interview with the foreign minister who opened our session and. Like all these things I never even knew existed in our NC. And I think many other NCs could have experienced the same thing if they had like suddenly had access to, to such resources. Um, yeah, well, that is all extremely interesting. But I, be, I will be super upset at myself if I let you guys go without asking for some details on the spicy stuff. This, I, 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 I'm not willing to let down this opportunity of actually <laughs> having you here, having gone through those things. <laughs> but but like at least I feel like Bettina Carr Allison is a name that has occurred and reoccurred and re reoccurred again and again and again uh, because obviously she was uh, one of the like main factors and main founders of the entire thing. But I feel like she's also been a name that's kept coming up every time we have heard of just the smallest, tiniest thing that has been problematic because it was really here where where the finances suddenly went to shambles because there were quite some accusations within like the teacher groups uh whether uh like how the money should be allocated who should be paid where they should go and like the funds that were there were not like uh, fairly allocated to the people so so like suddenly this was more about like having paid salaries than having a youth organization for the youth uh and i feel that's definitely some of the things that that kept being there uh, because obviously that also in the end turned into this transition to to the youth-led organization, which definitely was one of the like main turning points. And it might, at least like the impression I have got, gotten from looking through all these things were that it went from a, we do it for the youth to a, we do it because we don't have any other option because we literally, like there have been periods where bankruptcy has been like, the best way to describe the financial situation of of the organization and and that really took time to to reestablish an organization that the banks wanted to actually support and that could run in in several countries so so that's and like that's also when like when everything was still centered in Fontainebleau uh, in like France uh, that's where all this is taking place because the entire thing of moving to Germany we know that all like only happened later and after it turned youth led uh so so this is definitely some of the things that have taken up a lot of like space in in the archives and in the mail correspondences that we have been been looking through 
Yeah, I, I remember back in um, the twenty fifth anniversary, um, and she was also there, and she was kind of giving a speech talking about the founding of UIP and stuff like that. And I was like, "Oh, who's this person?" And then uh, some of like the dinosaurs at the time were with me, and they were like, "Oh yeah." So, uh, and then they started to kind of like go through this and tell me, and, and they started like to tell stories about how there were like all these financial issues and a lot of this, let's say, trying to focus on the, yeah, on trying to up upkeep uh, teacher salaries as opposed to the building out of a youth organization um, until it finally, yeah, it went bankrupt. And then Shoshkov kind of stepped in to help actually pay off those debts and for it to then finally become youth-led so yeah the, 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 mm. there's a lot of those stories around that's such a fun bit that the reason he might be was bankrupt because they were trying to like upkeep salaries for people i mean it makes sense like who wants to do all this volunteer work like the word embezzlement is something that's so between the lines of eyp like i've heard of so many ncs where board members embezzle money from the NC because it just doesn't feel fair to them that they do all that work for the for the event or the organization and they just don't get <laughs> any financial thing in return but it's so funny that it's so deeply rooted in the history of it as well yeah yeah exactly uh, and like i also feel like because many of these things have been like based on rumors because then there was a person who has been in a relationship with bettina who obviously knows that things happened or an nc who was more involved like i feel like uip france for example knew quite a lot of things because they were kind of the establishing uh nc so there have been a lot of rumors, but also like several mails where we have like seen the official letters being like, we are fuck money wise, or we owe you this and that much money, or we have to reestablish this, the bankruptcy. Uh, so so it suddenly went from the rumors, I think many of us have heard to, to actually have some sort of ground. And that somehow was like not too surprising, but also a bit scary almost sometimes. Yeah, but I think... At least from my side, um, there was also a whole thing with yeah, so the founder of UIP France, who also is not the big biggest fan of Bettina because she's mentioned everywhere as a founder, and there's this whole thing that on the Wikipedia of UIP France that he wrote <laughs> basically, like he wrote the history, and then he he put that they were co-founder of of UIP, and then he keeps like being very upset that. Like everyone is describing her as a founder because he feels like he's also the founder of VIP. And then there's this whole thing, and like I've never actually met like Laurent, but I feel like I, yeah, if I had more time, I would have like yeah, gone Laurent. to friends and like met him. Yeah, Laurent Grigois. Yeah. But like he, he gives, I remember he came to my first session as a delegate and he gave a speech. And he was like, I'm the founder of UAP. And obviously, like, I didn't know shit. So I was like, okay. <laughs> but I think he was very, like, he also has, like, a huge flows of archives. Like, he has tapes, like, audio tapes of things, like, videotapes, obsessions. But we never got, were able to, yeah, got in touch and actually go and get it because he doesn't live in Paris. Um, so it was a bit complicated. But I feel like, yeah, he was... And that was always this thing that he was very unhappy about how she was described in everything. And I feel like there was even like I never got to interview him, but I think there was even more tension between the two of them because of that. So it's very funny that he keeps modifying the Wikipedia page and like adding himself in it. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> so if you're listening to this, whatever you do, do not go into the Wikipedia page of UIP France. Find 
Laurent I mean, and make I haven't seen it there. in some long now, but like <laughs> I think it's I haven't looked at it, so I don't even I, I haven't looked at it in a very long time, so I'm I'm not even sure. He is currently but listed with, as a founder. Yeah, yeah right. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> <laughs> of course. But he he's the one who wrote it. Like this thing, he wrote the entire thing, which is very nice. And I mean, he's still like I think he's still in RGA or of DNC. So it's 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 nice to have someone there, but then. It's also like very confusing. Um, like I would have loved to interview him. I think it would be an even more like you know tea like for sure. I have like really been trying to 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 fetch the mail. I know I have from like for example, it would be Germany on like their financial situations from like back in time because those were also just like spicy uh, because they have like struggled a lot. Uh, but I really haven't been able to find it, and I might blame my own lack of structure uh for that i wanted to i wanted to go back to check because we, we did have the interview about like the whole switching from to a youth-led organization like we did have the whole interview but my problem is sharepoint and yeah we had oh my god it was horrible to work with sharepoint so like i it's been a year i cannot access to the thing so i, I really tried i was like oh i think it's gonna be interesting to do like because i didn't do the interview so i, I don't really remember um yeah exactly but i like, think it would have been nice you know that interview with the like we do have the whole thing and maybe something in it would have been interesting for a podcast but I just yeah exactly. it's horrible like, like literally i feel like this book could have been done half a year earlier if we had not been working in sharepoint uh oh yeah and did, yeah. did did you actually cover anything about like the um so the the IO and bases because that was a a big thing a few years ago where EYP basically lost the largest funding thing that they had with a bunch of full time roles <laughs> attached to it uh, because of some a lot of mishaps and issues there. Yeah, like it's not really been covered because like the main part of what's been covered around the IO has been the establishing on it and the different, like the introduction of the IO and the GB and then the focus I feel has been mainly on the work of them. So like establishing the alumni network or how they support as well as the uh, like GB reforms and stuff that's been there. Uh, so so I don't feel, I don't, we haven't like definitely haven't covered the basis part, uh, which are as well things that could have been really nice to to include but I also feel like the team kind of decided that there was enough finance in this book already that that people probably wouldn't find it as interesting as other parts which is like kind of sad because because you want to cover again so many things like my dream for this would have been to have like a 40 times 40 centimeters book like a coffee table book of this like thickness to, to to actually have but obviously that was not like a viable option. Uh, so so I w- really wish we could have covered covered those things. So who do we contact Nathan for the basis T episode? We'll see. I'll have some conversations and see if some people are. are, are, are <laughs> Please willing. do. Because it, it is. Oh my god! Yeah. Like, well, let's not get into that topic now because it is it is a disaster. For but another it, episode. Yes. Yeah. Like. I also feel like every time we've been like, we have a question, we they've been like, you could contact Maria Manolesco because she knows everything when it comes to the IO. Uh, and like every time someone has been like, yeah, find some resources, they've been like, Maria. Uh, and it's been nice to have people to reach out to, but it's also been a lot of like, you need to go this link, then this link, then then this person will refer you to this seven 
like seventh person and and then yeah, they like, will do it when they have time yeah exactly <laughs> and then they forget about us and then we're like hello <laughs> so it's uh it's been honestly like tracking content is cool um something because obviously it takes time you know if you ask someone to go into their like basement and scan like pictures for 25 minutes then you know they need to make the effort to do it um yeah that's true but there's so much more like like that's the thing like i honestly i was like tempted to even do more but then i was like no time and it's volunteering we're already writing a book which is yeah again very limited to being a volunteer the limit was yeah, there exactly. and we're very standing in front of it but... and we're both so frustrated with that limit as well uh because we were the volunteers and we volunteered to do all the content to do the layouting if like if needed to do the entire editing process and then because suddenly things were rushed in the end uh the editing was outsourced uh to an external like a journalist who who was the one to to cut down everything obviously uh in tandem with what the io said but i remember one of the last messages i sent to the io the very last sentence said that like before the publishing still uh the very last sentence i said was that the current format as it is, I barely want my name on this anymore. Uh, which, <laughs> yeah, like I was discussing a lot back and forth whether I could send that or not. But I was like, if I'm not sending it, then like we're not going to have the, then we haven't told our opinions. And then I cannot complain later on. If I've at least told it, I will be able to complain. Because this thing about outsourcing to an external uh, who were paid for this, I feel like we both felt that our work was kind of neglected uh, somehow. Because again, it's understandable they had to pay someone because they were in a time rush and they were like, we need to publish this before you're 35. But we have kept uh, meeting our deadlines and even the external did not meet her deadlines. So, so they were like, you have a sharp deadline of the 31st of December 2021. And then the book should be done magically like edited by end of January, I think. And I think it was like in March, March. or something, we, yeah. we heard the first update on how things were going. Uh, so, so like the last chapters were rushed a lot from our side to, to meet her deadline. And then we could have technically used another two months, uh, which could have been really valuable for, for the content, I feel, and maybe cost less editing, who knows. I think it was just, again, very frustrating. Because obviously it's never done before, so it's like a whole process. But it was also like, yeah, there was not a lot of people that kept working on it. Like there were some people that were there for one chapter and then left. And then in the end, it was kind of, again, the two of us. And then some, like one or two other people that were very committed. But then it was like just working a lot on it. Then kind of not being able to do the last part of it, which is like having the what people see in the end, you know. And we did all the con like the work before the two years before we did everything, and then it was kind of seeing the results, but being time pressured because they absolutely wanted it for the thirty five anniversary, and we're like, but we really don't like it. So, you know, it's like it's not that it's bad, but it's more that it's not up to our expectations that we had for the book. Like in my head, like the book was like a proper book, hardcover, on the table, and it's nice, and like I had very a lot of ideas for it. And obviously I was ready to cut it down, but then we really couldn't. And like, I also was like, 
what if we push it and we publish it at the ISMH wing? You know, that would be nice. And they were like, no, no anniversary. And I was like, fuck, you know, it would have been nice. I tried. So in the end, it's it's nice that it's a, like a project that is wrapped up because at the end, you know, it's like, if you continue and you never publish it, then, you know, it, it keeps going and it had to be done at some point. But it's like, I think what people see, they're like, oh my God, it's so nice. Book, it's never been done. That's so great. And everyone has been texting us in that way. They're like, oh my God, this is insane project. But for us, it feels super different because we had this vision um, of a way different book. But still interesting project and we learned a lot. So it was it was great. But it's just, yeah, a bit frustrating, I would say. Yeah, at some point we, we did the comparison that when you're working on a session, you know what to expect. You Like you might meet different obstacles on the way that you didn't expect but at some point you will have the cmo the the team building the committee work and the ga and the reporting afterwards and we're like at some point we probably will have a book we might have a website who knows how the archives will be will there be an exhibition which session will they be actually published at and like this entire like you're just walking inside some sort of bubble where where you really don't know where to go with things so, so seeing the project finally wrapped up somehow was also a relief because you were like hmm, it wasn't all for nothing like we, we actually yeah. ended up somewhere and next time we will have an idea of what to aim for so so i think it's also just been like almost a feasibility study on how to do a history book <laughs> yeah it was a try run you know in a way that's nice from my side i also just want to really say like a massive thank you uh, it's been really enjoyable to kind of like listen through to hear your process and hear like how you've been thinking about that stuff i, I really love the idea of like how on earth do we actually record history and how does this go down and it's been really interesting to kind of hear that process specifically with this uip context so it's been yeah it's been really cool well thank you for having us in the podcast <laughs>